Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Grimecast. We're a griming game, and as always, I'm Nut Chucks, and with me is... A man who considers the energy level utterly inappropriate for how chill this is actually going to be. Maybe Browbeat. How chill? Maybe Browbeat? Maybe Browbeat. Maybe Browbeat. Maybe, baby. Uh, today, in the background, you guys will get the lovely game Poker Night 2, uh, starring Brock Sampson from... Venture Brothers, Claptrap from Borderlands, Ash from Evil Dead, and Sam from Sam and Max. Uh, you'll be getting to watch my terrible poker skills uh, for uh, however long we record this for. And uh, since the last time we were doing this, uh, a couple of big gaming entertainment news has happened. E3 happened over the weekend. We talked about it on our last video. Um, we, we alluded to it, saying this is going to be such a big event. And it wasn't. You would think that the absence from last year would have created a greater degree of thirst for the news, for the culture, for the sharing, for the upcoming events. And for the most part, as I've complained to Chucks, which we'll cover a little more later on, the event arrives. It's primarily digital because of logistical concerns. And the outcome is, you know the stuff we've been getting? Good stuff, right? Here's a little more of that same stuff. And also... um upcoming releases that are available now or very soon on the services we're already selling. As far as the big stuff, don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll no. talk about that in our own special separate platform unveiling event, Raz Amate. That's, that's, well, as of last year, that's what kind of caused it. I mean, I hate to say it, like, when COVID hit and everybody was sitting there going, oh God, what do we, what do we do? Like, we can't have E3 and E3 canceled. Everybody's like, well, we have our own thing. We can do it digital. Like, wait, wait a minute. That's right. The PlayStation started it a couple years ago when they went all digital and said they were backing out of E3. And then Nintendo did, was like, we're doing the same thing. So this E3 just kind of feels like it's uh, what they like to call in uh, the adult world a uh, cock tease. Um, and with that, you know, what I've seen and heard is just essentially, hey, let's, it's hype for a certain feature on a console and not a whole lot else anybody was really excited about. Or releasing products you might have wanted and being questionable, excuse me, questioning how excited you are in retrospect. As an example, Square Enix had a limited panel from what I understand, and most of the content creators and people who are very excited about this stuff basically said, wow, we're getting a re-release of the previous games. One through six, I believe, the pixel era. What yep. does it mean if you're going to re-render or up-res or change things over? We don't have enough information, but it's just a signal in the in, in the distance. Get your bucks ready. Where you can try... And, and the response is, what? Why? Versus Nintendo saying, we're going to reintroduce... Uh, it wasn't Jump Wars, I'm sorry. Advance Wars, that's what it was. Advance Wars, which is one of those franchises you might not remember or might feel very fondly in your hearts because of the Game Boy time you spent with it. Now it's, it's back up in the limelight, and I guess they're rebuilding it. That's a, a similarly confusing but exciting announcement because it's something that carries a lot of clout, word-of-mouth style, and now the company's going to put it in your hands for a reasonable price. So congratulations, you get to preserve a piece of your past, although slightly altered, like the Lucasfilms. Uh, yeah, I, I think 
the most exciting thing that I've seen so far, I mean, they really talked about uh, Nintendo's biggest thing that I've seen is the new Zelda that they talked about and the new Metroid game it would be the first Metroid game. in I think seven years. Um, well, they talked talk about two Metroid games. The one everyone wants and is expecting with no real information, yeah. that being the next Prime. And the one nobody knew they wanted but are super excited, which was Metroid Dread, Dread which is a side-scroller that the series was founded upon, and that's an example of a pleasant surprise. Suddenly the interest is peaked on something people didn't expect. That's a good example. I think the biggest one that I I saw so far from Nintendo was their uh, game and the, the Zelda Game and Watch. You get a classic Game and Watch console with the original Legend of Zelda game on it. Uh, let's see here. It includes Legend of Zelda, Zelda Two: Adventure of Link, Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening, Vermin Link version, interactive digital clock timer. So it's a, a Game and Watch with all those games in it. And if you know what a Game and Watch is, it was like one of Nintendo's first true pieces of hardware. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s that uh, a lot of people play. That's where Mr. Game & Watch comes from. Uh, they did spout what's out... What's the cause? Huh? What's, what's the cause? 50... Why now? Uh, oh, I thought you said, what's the cost? Uh, the cost is 50 bucks. The cause, probably just because it's the big rage for the past six years. Uh, what was... Yeah, I was working at Lowe's still, so 2015 to now. Nintendo Classic, Super Nintendo Classic, PlayStation, PS1 Classic, all these games got released, consoles, remakes of these consoles got released, and essentially everybody crapped their pants because they uh, they had these games come out and it they were they were good and they were like good sellers, so they were like, hey, we can keep just releasing these things, and we have this old classic console, handheld console, we could do called the Game and Watch. We could probably put some of the old Nintendo games on it. If I'm not mistaken, it's meant to be an anniversary release. People were. Curious, what are they going to do for a big round number date of their anniversary? 35th. And the, answer, the answer became the Game & Watch, which is a satisfying answer, but maybe not what people expected or were hoping for. They were hoping for a 28th version of Marth to be released for Smash or something. Yeah. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel that got, got dropped again. Uh... It's going to be out in 2022. And then another big Zelda thing was the expansion for Age of Calamity, which came out, and that drops in a couple days. It drops in three days, which would be this Friday. Today's the 15th for us. So when you guys hear this, it will be past. It'll be the 20th. Um, but it comes out this Friday. You got Fatal Frame. There's a bunch of games that they showed, but nothing nothing piqued my interest. I mean, the what I've taken away so far, I mean, you had Mario Party got released, and then you had Mario plus Rabbids got dropped but that was in the ubisoft uh release which was their big thing that everybody talked about but the the big one so far everybody that i keep hearing and everybody's talking about is microsoft microsoft i guess because of their whole bethesda thing that they they kind of try to want to go big or go home because they don't have an xbox i guess xbox direct or an xbox exclusive event that everybody wants to talk about so they uh, just kind of went and did their own thing how do you feel about intellectual property acquisition when you, you would have a fairly predictable platform for Bethesda whenever they have announcements. The subject lines are all very well pointed out, so you know what you're expecting. But now it's Microsoft. So the Bethesda chunk, that notch of content or expected rhythm of unveilings, teasing things, Starfield, Starfield, talking about Starfield, is now part of the Microsoft behemoth. 
So how does that affect your expectation on what's going to happen on the Microsoft panel next? It, given that Game Pass is a given as well. I, I don't... Xbox's reputation for buying up companies is not good. Never, they bought up multiple companies and turned, they turned the studios to crap. It's almost like what EA did with certain companies. They would buy these other companies up and then they just didn't become good. They didn't release good games. I mean, hell, Rare, I can't think of a good game Rare's done for a long time. Like They were like, we're releasing Battletoads and we're going to do the Rare replay because we have 35 years of Rare. We excuse me. We acquired the rights, yeah. And now we're gonna squeeze that shit through a grinder. Exactly, and it it, it doesn't sound good. But what my understanding is so far is they're kind of letting Bethesda do their own thing. Like we own you, we're daddy, but y'all do y'all own thing and make good games, and it's all good. Well, let's look at this as a derivative effect, where the industry is notorious for really poor production processes in terms of what they expect human capital to achieve under preposterous deadlines. So you take a studio house that is a developer, and that's your, let's, let's call that Prime. That's that's where it starts. But they need finding. Uh, they need funding. They need uh, a way to establish themselves, a publishing line, etc. It's hard when you're an indie. So your initial publisher creates a certain schedule of expectations. You're going to make this for us on this timeline. Cool. Okay. Understandable. But then that publisher makes a distribution deal with another another house. They get the deeper, bigger pockets. Now you have direction coming from the distributor who might say, we really would like for you to focus on this property or this thing. And then another acquisition happens, and the newest overlords get to look at the catalog of what they purchased, run some numbers based on prior sales data, and say, yeah, fuck whatever you're doing. If you want to stay in operation, you're going to make us one of these. I don't care if you have no experience with that. You're going to make us one of these. I'm not sure how that's healthy in any kind of lingering fashion beyond the next quarter or the next release. Because like you say, Rare is a familiar name. Rare has a certain emotional gravity. But the reality of what they're creating now is probably not what Rare wants to do. Not the people working there. I would say Rare was a big name. Rare is a a name that a lot of us older generation gamers know uh, because of the games that they did. Like, they were remaking a Donkey Kong, uh, Cameo, uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Battle Tads, as I called it. Um, I mean, the biggest thing they've done recently that everybody knows is Sea of Thieves. And they announced, uh, announced a crossover, Rare and Microsoft and Disney announced a crossover for Sea of Thieves, an expansion. It's a Pirate's Life, and it's a cross between... A Pirates of the Caribbean and Sea of Thieves and Johnny Depp has reprised his role as Captain Jack Sparrow and that uh, I, I don't know how I feel. I never liked Sea of Thieves. It just wasn't the game that tickled my fancy. Um, but when to get back to your point, a studio gets bought up by a major company. I, I don't feel good about it because 90% of the time they get broken up and they go do something else. Uh, the people that formed the company that made Outer Worlds. I don't remember who, what the company is that develops Outer Worlds. Uh, they're originally the ones who made Fallout. Some of yeah. the original developers for Fallout. And they have turned that around. Like, you bought our company, we're out of here, we're creating our own thing, and they went and did what they needed to do. Which is a good thing in my eyes. I don't see it as a, a too terrible of a 
a thing when that happens, but I'm afraid what's going to happen to them is same thing that happened when they were making Fallout, that they're going to get bought up. They're going to say, hey, here's what's happening, and just essentially push to the side, which sucks, but uh, I, I understand. Um, I know there's also... That's a bit of a sore point in terms of just for a sidestep for Obsidian, the makers of Outer Worlds. Thank you, I couldn't remember. I remember there was a lot of excitement and praise when the Outer Worlds released. And after the initial shock passed, the realization was, it's okay. It's slightly above average. But the level of quality we've been seeing lately in this genre, such as it is, is so low that this seems like an amazing game. Especially if you look at their prior infamous offerings that were typically flawed and buggy, but insightful. As an example, as I'm staring at this, Dishonored. the Outer Worlds is something you recognize. They did Dishonored, correct? No, they did not. Okay. Pillars of Eternity is something you don't necessarily recognize, but the name gets around. And there's a sequel that's developed by probably not them, actually. Fallout New Vegas, being 11 years old, still has a presence even though the fans have rebuilt and retooled that game from the ground up. South Park and the Stick of Truth in 2014 was a surprise, a breakout, a delight. And again, the sequel was given to someone else to work on with questionable results. Alpha Protocols, again, nobody remembers. But it had great ideas that were awfully put together. Neverwinter Nights, 1 and 2, same people. Tyranny, which is an unappreciated game. Excuse me, Pillars of Eternity 2 is theirs too. I made a mistake there. But Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, perhaps the most important piece of Star Wars canon ever created. Uh, that, that's big. That's big baller energy. And by the end, you have Outer Worlds. Flat corporate humor, shoot them in the face, make your gun better. It feels, feels like a diminishing return. Because possibly even the people working within the company, the name itself doesn't represent who's in the seat anymore. Uh, in another case in point, um, I have a lot of affection for Blizzard, but it's the idea of Blizzard, what they've done in the past, and how they handled things in the middle lots, perhaps. But now, the people behind the label don't represent the people who were there. That ship has been gradually changing passengers and talent flows elsewhere, but that's unless you're really into it, you don't track where the talent goes. You're just happy that game made by people you recognize based on label, everyone's happy. And then when the game comes out and you go, what the fuck? Why game not how I like game? Like Rare. Guess what? Not the same people touching it anymore. So It, start, it starts with the creative directors and then it goes on to the people making the stuff. So guess who owns... <laughs> you're shit-talking Microsoft. Guess who owns Obsidian? I'm going to guess Microsoft. Yeah, bottom in 2008. But again... 2018, owner, excuse me. Ownership and direction. Some companies, even when like, it, it flows year to year... They know to keep their hands out of the production process. They make a demand, say, work on this, we'll give you resources, and they give them room to breathe. Other times, not so much. Uh, there was a big developmental shift. People recognized whether they appreciated it or not. After Assassin's Creed stopped being serialized that is an annual feature and was given a little more time to cook, guess what? Things felt a little bit different. Well, actually, quite a bit different mechanically, thematically, flow-wise. And since they've gone from... Origins, Odyssey, through Valhalla, which I guess is still getting retools and changes to whatever comes next. Once again, you have an established pace and rhythm of just go crank it out, make more for daddy, this is what I want. And the quality fluctuates. Some would argue it gets worse. 
So, let's go back to Sea of Thieves for a second. It's a game that I remember making waves, haha, when it first launched. People had expectations of what piracy is going to be, because that's, again, a very romanticized notion. What a pirate game should feel like. Not a privateer game, not a merchant marine game, pirates. And what you have is a play environment, without a whole lot of direction, or purpose, or reason. So people got there to hang out, but there wasn't a reason to stick around to progress. Quietly, left alone, behind the scenes, while the game had less notice, people worked on it. Their developers worked on it. And now, we're leaping ahead to, just to make it explicit, an official license tie-in with Pirates of the Caribbean, specifically the trilogy slash pentalogy of movies that Disney owns, is being attached to Sea of Thieves to give it, I guess, more activities and arcs. So it continues to be basically a live service where people go in and dick around, but now they have licensed characters because actors got to get paid too. Right. Uh, I see it as a positive development overall, but I question whether the people who made what they first made are still involved with this piece of the franchise, of this part of the creative process, or whether they were removed out of the way, somebody new came in and said, we have a platform to work with, let's fill it full of stuff that fits. How long, if it's successful, before we have Ripley from Aliens or Treasure Planet or other twisted versions of what piracy might stand for? Pumped into the same thing. So I'm going to I'm going to get back to your, your original question here on this one. I think Microsoft learned from their mistake with Rare and have corrected course as of recently and have done the right thing. And started letting their developers do what they need to do, which is smart. Because what they did with Rare is just uh, put it as the key and peel said, you done fucked up AA Ron. And uh, I, I think that is a, a big, big mistake that they learned from was that, hey, well, look, we're going to be as hands on as humanly possible. We're just going to tell everybody how it needs to be done. And that wasn't the way they needed to go. Um, Outer Worlds 2, though, I know when it was announced, all they did. They made fun of themselves, so that you can see that if Xbox was actually still kind of they're involved, they're like, "Hey, we own you, but do your own thing." I think if they would have done it, they would have been like, "Oh, look at this fake game demo and all the stuff that's in World." And with them, they just poked fun at themselves, like, "Ha, ah, you know, after so many years, all we have is a title and this gameplay trailer." Like they, the whole video was that, and I, I encourage more uh, of that in this industry. Like, "Hey, look." Yeah, you know, we were told to do get this done at a certain time. We're we're not behind. We're probably on they're on schedule, but you know, all we got so far to show you is this, which is cool. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping to see more. Uh, I didn't play Outer Worlds one. It's not my thing. Um, it might be my thing. I just never gave it a chance. I've been playing so many PC games here recently. Uh, but I think Microsoft is doing the right thing. I don't know about Sony. I know Sony had the mass exodus from Sony San Diego for the way they were treating people. And same with like a bunch of other companies they're having some issues with their uh, development for games because of the way they're just like, hey, you need to get this done and get it done now. Which, you know, hey, who... I guess the, the way they see it as you signed up for this industry, here's what's going on, get used to it, this is how things work, you have to work six days a week. Uh... 30 hours, you know, 24, you got to work 30 hours a day, six days a week, even though there's 24 hours in a day. Like, you got to give me six extra hours per day. 
and they're having these people leave. So I haven't heard much on the development of what games are coming out. I doubt that because everybody's been chiming that uh, God of War Ragnarok is coming out at the end of the year. I doubt it with the mass exodus that everybody had. Um, so kudos to Xbox. I would say so far from everything I'm seeing that they kind of won this E3 as they always do. Like they always say, like who won E3? Who do you think did the best? Uh, Xbox and Bethesda. Uh, what they showed, especially like the game, kind of kind of sick. What how they how they do like oh yeah like who won this? I think it's because it's for for Americans. Which... It's always Which advertisement pamphlet do you do like the best? Do you like the blue pamphlet, the green pamphlet, the purple one, the orange, or the white one? We're we're actually ranking what was your favorite ad? Yeah, essentially, they've been doing that since I remember. It's like G four, like hey, who did the best? Like who knocked it out of the park? With Xbox, they announced a bunch of stuff. Psychonauts two, um, they had the Sea of Thieves. They Stalker two was something they announced on their Starfield. Because it's Xbox and Bethesda, so they can announce a whole heck of a lot more. You had the Hades is coming to Xbox now, which it's not a big deal. whoop de doo um, Halo Infinite, they announced the Halo Infinite free multiplayer. Like, it's a freaking Halo game. You should have multiplayer on it. Like, if you don't, you're just a dick. Um, Diablo 2 Resurrected is coming to Xbox and will be released in September. Like, then they announced Slime Rancher 2, Shredders, they didn't, uh, Outer Worlds 2, Flight Simulators coming there, Horizon, Forza Horizon 5. And then they, the big one that everybody's been chiming on uh, is the Game Pass. Like, all these games are coming to Game Pass for free in their first couple days. You don't have to buy the game brand new. You can essentially play it brand spanking new day one. You can pre-install some of these games, and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, if they work day one. Huh? If they work day one, and if you're purchasing yeah. the service. Correct. Uh, it's ten bucks. There, I know the push is to get people to do the fifteen bucks a month. So they're with the ten bucks a month. I don't think they're losing as much, but I think with the fifteen, like they make somewhat of a net profit because it's EA Play and a bunch of other Spotify Premium and a bunch of other stuff they get on, added on there. Um, could could be wrong. I don't I don't have the EA or the Game Pass with the Ultimate, but uh, to me, like the big one that I saw was Dark, the new Dungeons and Dragons game, Dark Alliance, that we talked about in the last podcast. Uh, was the pick. It's kind of interesting to me because it's free day one. I can see how it is and I can give my opinions on it uh, the next time because it comes out Friday. Friday, I believe. Um, Sorry, what comes out Friday? You're you're rattling off a bunch of shit. No, no, I said the new Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons and Dragons game comes out Friday. Okay. What is your interest in the new Dungeons & Dragons game that comes out this Friday? Uh, it's, I don't know, it's something about the world. I really want to see how this is done. It's Dungeons & Dragons. I'm not a big Dungeons & Dragons player, but I like the world. And if they do, this is, to me, something that I think would be... Yeah, it comes out in a week. Sorry, next Tuesday, June 22nd. We went over this last time. I think to me with it being free on day one, I can see how it is. And if it, it's not like I'm hyped for it, like I'm super, super excited. I think it's going to be a good game. It's a almost like Final Fantasy meets Dungeons and Dragons. You got your four party co-op dungeon crawler is what it's what, it, what it's got here. Um, and you can pick your categories and you can play with friends and you go through and you crawl through dungeons. And I think that would be fun, especially with uh, to me for Xbox. I think that's going to be fun, especially something I don't plan on ever putting on the channel. Maybe to stream one day, I might and get it for the play, uh, PC. But it's 
it's just an interesting game to me, and I want to see how they do the universe of Dungeons and Dragons, what little I know, and play with people that have played it. Uh, I got uh, our editor, who actually has started working on some editing for videos for us uh, for once. He is plays my younger brother. He's doing some Dungeons and Dragons uh, tabletop right now, and he knows the world more than I do. So it's something I'm going to play with him and his friends to see what they think and get their opinions and see what I little I know. And I'm just let's let's focus on this point for a second. Mm-hmm. You say I'm excited for the world. Currently, right now, in Media's Res, I'm staring at the map of the continent where this is going to take place. The specific setting. That is not the D&D world, but this is, this is where the game is going to be set. Which map is that? Well, that is the map of Faerun, which is in the world of Toril. And most of the games that were ever released in the setting, I can't speak very much for Neverwinter, the MMO... I think much like Elder Scrolls Online, it might give you regions to venture into that try to represent what the world is like. Mm-hmm. But a lot like cultural experience, 90% of the, all the action in the games takes place on the western coast. That's where just the huge focus is, pretty much anywhere you venture. And I'm thinking of myself, the old PS2 era games of uh, Dark Alliance, and Xbox original, I believe it was also on there, when you say experience the world, <clears throat> it's cute. It's cute to say. Because the context is fairly explicitly Munchkin style. You smack in the door, you bludgeon everyone inside with fireballs or chair legs, whatever you got, grab the loot and you move on. Now, this might be really fun to play. I'm not attacking that piece of it. But in terms of knowing the world in an interactive fashion, uh, for the last 18 years, you had the option that you may not have known that you had, to fire up Baldur's Gate. One or two. That gives you a whole lot more time in the world, although, of course, confined mostly to the Western nation where it takes place. The trick is, it was just nowhere near as fun in terms of the action. They amended this a little bit through Neverwinter, Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2, where you got to go to different areas. And, of course, the the, the world-building toolkit given to those who cared allowed you to make your adventures pretty much anywhere. Build your own tile sets, quests, stories, etc. And in the older games, you had a party of characters. If you wanted to, you could be a multiplayer. Your friends could roll up based on the same rule books and such. And the adventures were broader in possibility, although many might end in disaster because the world doesn't really owe you a victory. Whereas, this might be the sweet spot where you get to enter the flavor of how things feel, but for the most part, your player choices are limited to the sexy ones. Just the ones that are the smoothest to go and play. I would be very surprised if they give you a spellcaster class within the new Dark Alliance. I'm not looking this up, I'm just spitballing based on what's what's plausible. They probably will limit it the entire realm of spellcasting ability will somehow be confined to attack spells. Just just the ones that do sheer damage. Creativity need not apply. That's not the rhythm of the game here. And if I remember correctly, they'll probably just have you play book characters that were written by hired authors who developed this world and cooked it. You're getting you're you're gonna get the Diablo experience. You're awesome to begin with, specifically Diablo three. You you are just the biggest baddest mother, and you're gonna sweep out that dungeon and be the hero, I guess. But the question becomes, 
where's a sweet spot? How do you marry those two? How do you want to look around the world and roam at Breath of the Wild style while still having a reason to be at any one place? Maybe it's a tile set thing. Maybe you want to see the inner lakes, or you want to see the desert, you want to see the jungle, you want to see the mountains. That is worthy in and of itself. But then how do you assure any kind of depth? Or is the depth required? And if that is the case, then this world, specifically the Faerun world, that's just had the most attention, time, and money thrown at it in terms of being fleshed out. There are, what, six, seven, eight official ones, plus anything else you can imagine? Didn't we talk a while ago that uh, Dungeons & Dragons has officially linked up with Ravnica from Magic? So that's a possibility. But licensing is hard. This, this is what we got. So with all that overqualification, would you see this as a similar point of entry to saying, I don't know Warhammer 40,000, but I do like Space Marine the game, so that's about as much flavor as I want of that world? Yeah, I could see that. Um, so for me, yeah, it would be like that. Like, hey, look, I played Space Marines. Like, for me, I've played, like you said, I've played, I never played Neverwinter Nights. I've played Neverwinter. I'm looking up Boulder's Gate right now. I've had uh, roughly 23 years to play this game, Boulder's Gate 1, and I've had roughly 22 years to play Boulder's Gate 2. Uh, and then all the expansions, since the enhanced versions came out, I've had 9 and eight years, eight and nine years almost each. And then they had a Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonsphere come out in 2016. But for me, it's the same thing. Like you get a taste of what it is and you want to see what they can do more of. And you were probably correct. If it's like Neverwinter, the free, free-to-play MMORPG uh, that's on multiple consoles, um, your spellcasters are not. You have clerics, but your clerics still do attack. And they do heal, but it's your specials that do the healing and a very few times i don't really play healers that much in that game i play a lot of uh tanks and dps uh and that it's going to be like you said you're going to want to be the attack character but you want to probably have it balanced out where it's hey this character needs to be this this character this character needs to be long range you need to be up close this person needs to be with you and if you do have a spellcaster um most likely like you said there is no depth like you just need to attack uh, and you guys just need to carry potions on you, which, you know, it's it's not bad. It's what a lot of current video games are. Like, there is no too extreme death. Like, if you're a medic, you're still attacking in most games. But, like, oh, I got an extra heal kit to heal two people if you're shot and killed or shot and are put down. Um, so I, I'm not expecting too depth of a game, but it's just my curiosity to see how this world is and how they do it and then talking to people that play it play dungeons and dragons or play the world or play boulders gate like yourself and talk and see what they their opinions are and get good fanciful opinions on what they're what they feel about this game fair you're gonna have a very different experience as an example mm -hmm. you're seeing some of Baldur's gate too i'm pretty sure if you find a, a gameplay video none of the action on screen is what interests you Combat, in general, is basically paper dolls waddling towards one another and either playing sword swipe animations or big spell effects going off. But as you mentioned, if, if magic is a piece of the puzzle, well, in a narrative setting, and tabletop setting, from recent adventures, doing something as specific and innocuous as applying a glamour or an illusion to the party to all look like one of the party members to play a shell game with possible opponents 
to try and avoid combat, but to confuse them. Or something as non-aggressive but incredibly powerful as granting the power of flight? Creative spells of whatever point or purpose. When you narrow it down to a video game format, specifically one that's based on combat, the ultimate question on a design and implementation standpoint is, does this serve a purpose? Do we need this? Or the classic John Cleese reduction, uh, is the fog funny? You're really fussing over this fog machine as an effect. Is it funny? No, then we don't need it. Throw it out. So with this in mind, the best you can hope for is attractive action, interesting arenas, exciting monsters, and possibly loot to push you forward. And that is totally fair, but very much the amusement ride at a theme park as opposed to visiting a uh, reenactment village, if you will, and really spending the time like licking the walls and trying to see how life looks and works. Nothing wrong with the two experiences, just one has way more mass appeal, and then it's very, it's difficult to pull one such as yourself deeper in to say, right, now let's talk geopolitics. I know you enjoyed Game of Thrones for the titties and the blood. Let's discuss mining and mineral rights. And you might say, no, I'm, I'm staying with the titties. <laughs> That's where I want to hang out. Thank you very much for your offer. I'm going to be towards Action Town. That's fair. That's valid to say. It's just confusing to me where somebody digs up a property that doesn't necessarily draw as many eyeballs and then hopes to uh, ignite excitement. Say, hey, haven't been here for a while. Let's go to Tathir. I don't know what that is. Okay, what about Thay? No. Omn? Try again. Eh, Waterdeep? Hey, I know that word, Waterdeep. Let's go to Waterdeep. They got cool stuff there. I would say in uh, Neverwinter, it's not a big deal. You're... The... Neverwinter, the... I have to clarify this every time. So I'm just... I'm going to... If I'm talking about Neverwinter Nights, I don't know anything about that. But Neverwinter, the MMORPG, it's not too concerned about world building. It's just more along the lines of like yeah there's place there's this place here's these but uh, enemies there's different enemies in each place go kill them please okay you've gotten to a certain point now you have to do campaign achievements um some of these take days to do so you might want to get some friends they might help you out and then when you do these achievements and they get them done and certain things you you get to discover these new worlds and you get to fight uh tiamat and which is uh crazy to me uh yeah that, that's a very strange thing to say you know the god of all creation and also dragons? Go take a swing at that. You only need 12 of you, and all of you can kill it in under two minutes. If you're and level that's the 80. Conceit. That's the conceit of an MMO structure, because ultimately what we're dancing around but not really engaging, it is a world of difference, whether you're spending something uh, time with a piece of storytelling or environment on your own terms and pace, or if you're with other people because it's extremely difficult to get someone to wait patiently as you read the text in your head, make sense of a decision, and then maybe select your dialogue trees, or somebody else is just slapping the skip button as hard as they can because the next shiniest sword is what really matters here. And neither one of the experiences is invalid, but the compatibility is a massive concern. So most MMOs, they're there to occupy you, they're there to make you feel like you're invested in your character's actions as it pertains to the character's individual growth. And maybe occasionally some sort of big sweeping world event will have pretended that you were crucial to that occurring. And then you get to feel real good about your next character. 
and then the new expansion pass is released and the grind repeats. <laughs> um, some do it okay, some do it much better than others. Uh, and I'm just happy you're interested in this stuff. But that's, that's my particular bugbear to deal with when I have a hard time staying at the pop culture level, but that's very much a minor opinion. But if I want to talk about expansions and pieces that break the overall balance of immersion as you had it before, Chucks, there seems to be expansion content coming to Resident Evil Village. Yes. How, how do you feel about that? Next year. Well, how do you feel about it in right now? Uh, well, I'll be excited when I see what the hell they do with this RE-verse. What do you I... mean? You already have a template example from RE Biohazard. Oh, God. No. See, that's... Slap it... some shit on there. You, you bitches love this. I gave you some short missions. You get to play as, uh, I don't know, Barry? Um... <laughs> you did that perfectly like Jill at the end of... Oh, no. I'd say Jill in the re remake. Barry? Oh, God. Barry, I need your help. You did it pretty good, sir. I'll give you, I'll give you credit. Thank you. Uh, I, I am not excited at all until I know what it is. Um, well, you, you said you went through it 28 times, and you were sick of it by time number eight. Uh, and they'll sell you a piece or a pass. They'll sell you a pass to incrementally uh, expand your game. Plus, I, they'll, they'll, they'll add some challenge modes. There you go. I will only accept... How do I put this? I will only accept if it's like a full game that is like Resident Evil Revelations, but you're playing as Chris Wolf Squad. Like, hey, here's the mission on him going into the BSAA to figure out why they're doing this. I'll take that as a DLC. A $40 to $50 game that they're like going to throw in at DLC that everybody gets. Uh, but to say, hey, look, like where DLC is dropping in a year, you'll get our reverse before then. It's a multiplayer. Um, I just I, I'm not excited until I see what it is. Like I don't I don't feel confident they'll do anything right. I think it, they'll they'll just throw a cash grab out there and say, Hey, here you here you guys go. We we did a we did a DLC for it. I hope you guys like it. And then when it's shit, they'll be like, Oh well, at least a new game's coming out in a year. Following up the segment for Biohazard, which had the boxing champion bare knuckling his way through nightmares in the swamp, how about a chapter where Chris just flat out turns into a werewolf? And that's canon now. You have where furry Chris. Uh, I was. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. That would uh, that would be exciting and excitingly funny, but I don't think it could be canon. Of course it can. This can be the furry umbrella. So, I I'm getting kick out of this. Uh, I'm reading the the. I'm going through Capcom's E3 announcement things, and on the bottom under their thing that they put out it says Resident Evil R Reverse multiplayer mode will launch next month is included for free with all Resident Evil 7 purchases. This bitch has been in the works for four years? Yes. Many, many things in the works that you cannot announce because either there's restarts, compatibility issues, licensing agreements, somebody acquires somebody else, so we can't fucking do that anymore. There's so much going on. Yeah, it's supposed to be with RE8 Village. It's because it was supposed Please to... Please look forward to RE9 Contrived Title coming 2024. <laughs> RE9... Bacon. What the what the hell does this mean? You're in a Resident Evil Ixion. Why is it called? Oh, because you need to have the letters match up. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. I get it, guys. Like Resident why... Evil Extreme. Your character will do parkour off buildings. Isn't that just dead by shush shush shush? Don't you say the word. 
it's Lego Distinct. <laughs> this this little snippet here also has me, I guess, not roll my eyes, but but slander the entire prospect. Uh, Nintendo showed off 20 minutes of No More Heroes 3, but not during its E3 stream. Well, that's a perfect example. Here is a property I happen to be interested in. That's not part of the main show where everyone gets together. It's almost as if uh, we're, we're going to use a Japanese cultural thing here. E3 is people walking through a hall on either side of the queue where you walk. Representatives of companies are handing out branded tissues. Now, the tissues is, of course, the QR code to go log into their private booths and see the stuff on your own time. Uh, just don't jerk over all, all the tissues. Save some for later. But the reason to go to the main hub is to then leave the main hub and split off to other events that don't draw as many eyeballs. You know what this reminds me of? Highly specific pick here. It reminds me of the Final Fantasy IX strategy guide. And the reason I bring that up, it wasn't alone in this, but it was definitely the click that you got you to notice that you bought a book or acquired it somehow to give you hints, tips, and tricks. And it would cut out pieces of itself it wouldn't tell you. It would say, for more information, log on to this website, which is a paid service. So the strategy guide sold you DLC of itself. And guess what? Those servers went down after years. So that information is just lost through official sources. Unofficial guides still exist, but it's about as fucked in my mind. It's, it's comparable, and it's scaling. <laughs> How is this okay? Uh, it's, it's not. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out. So I don't know if you saw that Smash Smash Ultimate. Like it seems like every three months to you know three to six months they're releasing somebody new. Uh, Kazuya from Tekken is going to be on is the new Smash Brothers character release for Ultimate. Um, it pleases me. It pisses off anybody who doesn't like that. It doesn't piss me off. I'm just like it, it, I feel that Nintendo is throwing money out to these people. Like hey, give us. We'll pay you $2 million to let us use Kazuya. And they're like, okay. And then Nintendo's like, DLC guys, only $10 per character for that character. And then like $40 million later, they uh, have, you know, they've, they've made up whatever they lost. I mean, it's a smart business thing, but it's like they're just drawing from whatever they can. Next, they're going to be like, oh, we're going to get Bugsy in here and just uh, see how he's doing. Just just have him. Battletoads next, guys. What, what do you think? All right. We're going to get Kazooie, not Banjo. Fuck Banjo, he's gone now. Sure. I think it's a very smart strategy. I'm not even upset. At least it's not a horny waifu fighter. That's next release. Like like Genshin, for example. You got the whole DOA volleyball cast. Speaking of horny, uh, yeah. this is not new news, but I just wanted to see if you had a take on this. We talked last week about the thing that released Netflix the week prior to that, which was Bo Burnham's Inside. Mm-hmm which was a discussion of many contemporary issues of online interaction, culture, manipulation, and mental health. What I didn't realize until very recently, a few days ago, the same day, basically, same moment, the internet got a hold of information that there was a Samsung project, a canceled Samsung promotional project, which created a mascot. And that mascot got leaked online, and fan artists got to work. So, Chucks, are you familiar with Samantha Samsung or Samsung Sam? Nope. Uh, okay. I'm looking at it now. 
make sure you have adult search safe off. Oh my because gosh, he, he, like it's it's weird. One of my favorite comments, including things like this, mm -hmm. said, "Man, we should get these artists to work in emergency response because their speed of response is alarming. Same day of whiffs of release, an official advertising tried to bury it as much as possible. All the online communities got a drawing, and a nothing event of a cartoonified, whitish-looking." short brown hair woman that was supposed to be a face for a designer became a focal point to express all sorts of frustrations as well as creative and inspired comedy because now finally Siri has a competition. The, uh, <laughs> the narrative of phone user cuckoldry has been ex explicitly amusing to me. It's a non-thing. It's a nonsense thing. Artists were paid and commissioned to create a fictional character to help sell a brand. So do you think if Samsung Sam was an official thing that she'd be part of the brand uh, identity conversation? Because then if you put her out as a modern woman, does it, is it okay to make it a woman? Is it okay to assign it a gender? Is it okay to, all these things, all the complications, which is why I think it was probably canned internally. But what a delight that the internet got there hands on Sammy Sam and those hands quickly got to work. Jesus how, how, do you, how do you respond to this Chuck? So, sorry for dropping this on you without you being prepared I guess but give me some of your impressions here. Uh, I am getting a kick out of the Lady Dimitrescu stuff but I, I can't believe it's Rule 34 already. Like you were well, not joking. Fucking day of. It, it, it's, I tried to see how, when this emerged and I mean it's a difference of hours. Four days ago. Like this like well, Holy... No, no, no. Fourteen days ago. No, no, no. On on this on one of the images that's rule thirty four. I'm like, why? <laughs> because. Um, but I'm getting the kick out of it. Uh, there's one that's uh, it's Lady Dimitrescu during the uh, that what is it? The ballad of Buster Scruggs scene with Day James Franco where he looks over like first time, and it's Lady Dimitrescu talking to <laughs> the Samsung Sam character. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, that's that's so right. And then it has the boyfriend turning around, looking at Samsung Sam with Lady Dimitrescu being upset. Like, it's... Uh, like, oh, my God. Don't worry, this will be on uh, the, the famous adult website here in a few days uh, with somebody parroting Samsung Sam and having a video out. It, it, it's sad and ridiculous. And like you said, if these people worked at the speed that they can do this, um, I would have no calls I'd be able to go to in my service because they would already be there before the time I got there because they'd have it rule 34. There you go. Priorities established. But the next question is, if it was commissioned by a company and all the pre-production and production steps were taken in place and then it got canned, is it canon? Is it official? No. Did everything possible. Uh, George Lucas puppets have never made it into any cut of Star Wars. They were made, they were written, they just never got officially released. I would say no. But I... then if that's the case, if someone got wind of that and began distributing them, is there a legal pursuance to shut that down since, you know, it's not official, so why are you being upset? Uh, I... Because it's still their intellectual property, just because it isn't canon, I wouldn't say, like... Like, How can it be their intellectual property if it was never released uh, as a product to the public? And I agree, with you, but I'm just trying to get you to uh, explain it. Because intellectual property doesn't require you to release something. Intellectual property can mean you can have an idea or a 
um, a multitude of things like an idea, a property, you don't have to release it. If you copyright it from the get-go internationally and in, within your own country, if you say, hey, I own the copyright to this character and this look, and you put it in, and you, but you never release it, you still own that intellectual property. So if you tell somebody to cease and desist, um, and they don't, which is going to be hard, once it's released on the internet, it's you're going to spend hours upon, upon hours upon hours. You're going to be wasting so much more money for cease and desist for millions of websites compared to just letting it be and saying all right there's pervs out there let it go well let it's it... just like the the conversation proposed in fight club as to what the calculation for an automotive recall is you multiply the factors by the average cost of a settlement and you see if it's worth your time to even pursue this and if ip has dollars attached theoretical or not then yeah they'll pursue it and nicola comes back like you say to registry if there's a patent or a trademark applied to a thing then yeah it's legally defensible but if Ward gets out early enough, although it probably can't, because again, you're talking commissioning artists and getting things done, even if it's in-house. Any pen to paper or internal memo distribution is already grounds for, it's official, it's real. Yeah. So Intellectual I, property doesn't require you to, doesn't require any release, doesn't require anything. If somebody broke into your thing and hacked it and you had it, and you didn't get any copyright on it or trademark on it beforehand, you could still sue them because you could show that you had these ideas way before they released them. Um, and then you could say, we just weren't able to file the patent yet. He stole this technology or he stole this picture or he stole this character from us before we could release it. And most likely in courts, you would lose a lot of money um, if they were able to connect you to it if you were the one doing it. Um, it it's... It is a difficult road for the internet to pinpoint down who's rule thir rule 34ing everything because then you're like, hey, just because this guy released it, well, I didn't find it. I found it on this website. And then it's a rabbit hole by that time. It's too deep. Most companies will just send a cease and desist to your major companies and let the small ones get away. And then after a while, they'll stop caring because they know it brings publicity to their website and helps them out. So in the end, it's not too big of a deal for most of them, whether the character was published or not. That's fair. Well, Chucks, you'd uh, you'd had a very interesting hot take regarding the trailer for what apparently looks to be uh, S T A L K E R uh, two colon yes. Art of Chernobyl. Please, so please tell me what what do you know about S T A L K E R? I know nothing about it. This is the first time. Uh, to what it seems to me, I don't know when the original Stalker was released. So let me look that up. Let me look up Stalker. What's um, Stalker? I'm looking at S T A L K E R. Clearly a clever acronym. Yeah. S T A L K E R was originally released 14 years ago on March 20th by THQ. Uh, it was developed by Ukrainian game developer GSC Game World, uh, published by THQ in 2007. Um, so I'm assuming it was in there. I've never heard of it. So this new one, which is S T A L K E R. Two. It's Stalker. I'm just fucking with you. I know it is. I, I know you are. Uh, Heart of Chernobyl uh, will be released next year, and it's already exclusive on Game Pass first day for free, but you know, you got to wait a year. Um, is one of the few games, and I mentioned it to you because it surprised me, because at first I heard him speaking, and I'm like, that sounds like the little Russian I know. Then he said Vuipinamayo on there, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I know that word, and I looked down, and I realized they were speaking Russian to each other. And then I saw that they had subtitles. In most games like this, sorry, uh, like Metro, they normally put them, when they release them in America, they put English voice actors on them. So it's Which is a mistake. 
I would agree. If the, finding out about Metro, which I'll bring up to you here in a little bit, um, was Metro being originally done in Russian. This is a Russian game in Chernobyl. I, I love that they're keeping with the language. I don't need a game that's based in Japan where characters speak English. They can speak Japanese and I can read it. It's more, you know, it's more authentic that way. I don't believe like Sleeping Dog is based in China. Like, I don't believe that all of them speak perfectly fluent English. But it's like, yeah, it's a good game. But, you know, with this, it gives you more of an atmosphere that, hey, you're actually in Chernobyl. You're in this desolate wasteland with mutants and freaks that I've seen. And they, you're trying to figure a way out. Now, I only watched about a minute and a half of it before I got sent on a call because I watched it at night while I was working. And I haven't watched the full trailer yet. Um, but it, to me, it looks interesting. I don't think it'll be ready day one. I don't see it as a day one ready game. But since I'll have Game Pass... I don't see it as an issue if it's free on Game Pass Day 1 to play it and see what the bugs are and talk to you about it. I think the disk space requirement of 150 gigs is a, is a possible Day 1 issue. That's uh, a very swollen game. Grand, at least based on the stated requirements. Grand Theft Auto was a hundred and... I think it was a 90-something, and Red Dead Redemption 2, which is free on Game Pass, which I saw, is uh, 140 gigs. Yeah, and that's so. with the multiplayer component. So to backtrack this a little bit, yeah, what you said to me was, yeah, it kind of looks like Metro. It does. Which I found very funny. <laughs> what, what an appropriate thing to say. Considering Metro is the spiritual continuation of Stalker. Is it? Because There were, there were three Stalker games released prior, before the modding. And they were much closer to what Metro Exodus and what this game is portraying. That being, the chief appeal is being in a miserable environment where, again, nobody owes you survival. The dogs will kill and eat you, as will the monsters, as will the people. So even just choosing to set the trailer at a campfire immediately is supposed to punch people in the fields because in the middle of all this nightmare, if you can find a settlement that takes in the people who venture out into what's called the zone, the stalkers, just sitting out at the campfire for a brief respite and hearing a man play the guitar and sing along. That's that's a very specific moment from that series. Good on its own, better if you recognize it. Metro was much more linear, and I think stronger for it because it was trying to tell a tale of a specific character as written in the books. Now, no, I don't think that the Metro series the books were particularly inspired by the Stalker games. I don't believe so, but I haven't done that research. 2005 they were released. I didn't know this. They are originally comics. They were online comics, my understanding. I was reading a thing on them. Dmitry Golkovsky? Golkovsky? Golkovsky. 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 I can't roll my R's like you can and everything like that. Still working on it. There's, there's no R in Glohovsky. There's not. <laughs> I, but uh, yeah, I can't roll my tongue like you can. I'm American, sir. I speak American. American. <laughs> but the novel was released in 2005. Uh, so the novels were first. So I don't... Either way, like, they're... My understanding is, like, the comics were so good. Like, the uh, Dimitri was 18, released them on the web, got found by the company, and was like, hey, we want to do a game based off your novel. And he went... I'm only 18. They're like, we don't give a shit. And then they... It's good. It's good do. Yeah, and he, uh, he also, on, on top of that, he was given a movie deal, my understanding, but I don't think the movie's ever been released. 
uh, roadside picnic is the closest you get, and that predates things by quite a while. Yeah. Or a boy and his dog, I believe, is also inspired by nuclear fallout. But the Metro series, at least in retrograde, retrospect, it has it, it connects certain characters that you come across as flat out being part of that culture. Because the events in Metro take place primarily in Moscow to begin with, and then they travel elsewhere. Whereas the events in Stalker are a little further to the west. Not a huge amount, but again, shit's been happening. And little by little, between 1, 2, and 3, that being Metro 2033, Metro Last Light, and Metro Exodus, the games have been giving you wider play spaces to interact with. And, uh, of course, pursue modern pursuances of uh, crafting, tinkering, weapon augmentation, and feeling like a general badass. Whereas Metro 2033, very firmly, you are not a badass. You are doing your best. Are you doing well? You are. But I like the tension. It's much closer to what you enjoy in survival horror. Yeah, there's no zombies, but the hostile environment is conveyed in a way that it just feels oppressive. Even you, If you numerically know that you're holding a shotgun and you have very lethal damage coming out of the business end, and there's three or four things running at you, you can take them down. The tension is real, especially because everything seems so scarce. And that's something we'll tackle a little later on. So having Stalker 2, based on this trailer, because again, promo footage, look so polished and focus on the gunplay, at least based on what they're showing us, as you will see later on, it has me concerned that maybe they're missing the mark. If they can create good encounter design, uh, emergent events out in the zone in the wasteland, give you enough to tinker with, and give you a lot of modern conveniences in terms of either map usage or fast travel or uh, lasagna mechanics, whatever it is that helps you enjoy your Chef Boyardee out in the shitty rain out there, I don't know what the focus is going to be. Because yes, Stalker Games had a linear progression in terms of the system, a lot of side quests, a lot of emergent quests, faction quests. So it was a play space with a certain kind of direction. Who is your character? Why are they doing what they're doing? What are they pursuing? And how is it going to develop into the freaky nonsense nightmare of Radiation Land? But chiefly, the appeal was navigating rainy Ukraine in a post-disaster environment. It was nice to be there. Here, we're seeing mostly shooty-shooty-bang-bang, cool effects of monsters with a little bit of detection. But I wonder how many of those gimmicks will be flash gimmicks that don't really matter as much. Because previously, map, compass, gun, and uh, canned rations were basically all you really needed to interact and run around with in the Stalker games. In Metro, you had a number of tools of air filters and high visibility and night vision lenses. You would have ammunition, bandage supplies, uh, certain kinds of lights. So you had a lot more to fiddle with on the pockets on your person, on the character, but this was mostly because the environments are claustrophobic, interior, and limited, as opposed to you just you know that there's 15 miles of rendered terrain out there ahead of you in the world, so just pick your direction and adventure that way. Try not to get eaten by dogs. Shit like that. So I, I don't know what to make of it yet. I know it looks very impressive. The flavor is set. But I wonder if we're going to get a watered-down environment, because I just don't really see the same kind of painstaking detail as Red Dead being applied here. Maybe, but that's a really big sell. And given the pre-order bonus reads extended campfire content, I'm further salty on whatever the intentions are here. I don't know enough, but first impression has very mixed feelings. I like what I see, 
but I don't trust what it is. You, I, I can understand that. I mean, not trusting. Uh, well, that is. I would have to say that is just mainly you. I, I, for me, I trust certain new games if it's a franchise I know and love, uh, like Resident Evil, whether it's buggy so, or not. You know, this is not a franchise you know. Exactly. So in this one, I'm curious. You're always curious. You're very like, hold on a minute, because you normally what your philosophy to me always is: wait three months to a year, and the game will be done, and you'll have a good complete game, and you'll be cheaper. And then you can play it then. And I understand that. That makes perfect sense. I'm not like, hey, look, I can get it day one buggy and broken, and or I can get it day 365 complete and fixed. And I have no issue with that. Uh, but to me, I, I'm, I'm not too hyped over it. I'm not too underhyped over it. I'm probably just waiting to see what happens and get... Uh, a review from it from somebody else and just listen and see what they say from there. I'm not too worried about the game. It's it's not going to tickle my interest for a while unless it pops up for free on uh, the good old Steam. But the uh, original one does have a 10 out of 10 on Steam. Original what? Stalker uh, Shadow of Chernobyl is a 10 out of 10 on Steam. That's... I don't know. Once you install the necessary mods, maybe. Nah, just like I said, I'm just looking at things. Uh... The thing about this that we mentioned with language, back in the days of the 360, Xbox 360, and nobody would listen, I'd said if you would play Metro, play the Russian dub. The overall quality and the sense of feeling of appropriate environments are superior. Do it this way. People didn't care as much. as said, yeah, the voice acting was shit. Well, what did I just say? Don't listen to it in English. It's not as good. Listen to it like this, and it's an original tongue. Last Light did curious changes where they splashed Russianisms into the English track for some characters, but the Russian track was actually distinctly different. The information was conveyed in a similar fashion, but of course it hit me as a native speaker a lot differently than what they were portraying uh, as, as flavored English to the rest of the crowd, but it was satisfying. And I haven't played very much of Exodus at all, but those are games that, based on their identity, I would endorse heavily playing in Russian. So it's curious to me if they release Stalker 2 and the default language setting is in Russian or there is no English dub. It's only done this way. That will probably cost them sales, but it'd be a bold decision. I would say it's a good decision. On, on certain, Like I said, certain games, like it, like you mentioned, it just doesn't feel right if it's not done. Like, oh, the voice acting's terrible. You know, I'm going to listen to what you said on that one and say that it is better in this aspect for it to be done in its original language. The way the gameplay and everything showed, I feel like it would be, it's more authentic in that way. Am I going to understand it all? No, but I can read pretty damn good. Um, so I, I am wanting to see what happens and waiting to hear next year or play next year this game when it comes out on Game Pass. For free. I will play it for free. Or for a subsidized level. I was going to bring this up as well. Mm-hmm. The general benefit structure of PS Plus and Microsoft Game Pass, on surface, they're they're pretty similar. It's a membership. It's a paywall for certain features, source of discounts and additional promotional information. But because Microsoft is much more pervasive than Sony is, based on operating systems and interfacing, they allow a streaming service through hardware, or to install and access these games freely, whereas Sony wants to charge a separate service for their back catalog that you want to have access to beyond a physical library. 
clearly Game Pass has the advantage here. I'm not disputing this, but it's curious that there's a there has to be logistical concern at play that other providers can't do the same. Fairly famously, Nintendo is constantly behind the eight ball when it comes to online offerings according to their peers. But the Switch has been the strongest offering they've had, period, of having a, almost a Steam-like environment of things to purchase digitally. Yeah. And then we don't, we don't talk about EA's origin. Let's forget EA origin. That comes with Game Pass Ultimate. Or EA Play is what it's called on Xbox. Um, to me, I had the PlayStation. What is it? PlayStation Plus? That's what it's called or something like that. Game Store or something like that. I had that for a bit. It was like $19. Um, and none of the games on there were really something I wanted to play when I got and saw what Xbox was doing. Uh, they had games I wanted to play and that's what drew me to it. And I think that's why they're doing it. It's, Hey, we have all these games you want to play free for day one. And it's a logistic reason to get people to buy an Xbox over a PS five so they can win this console war <laughs> and they can finally win it. Cause they lost money. They didn't gain money on the original Xbox until like two quarters before the Xbox 360 came out, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look into that. I remember they didn't they didn't turn a profit on the original Xbox for a long time. Um, Xbox 360, they turned a profit. They sold enough, but there was you know they still lost out to the PS3. PS3, I would say, is the better game console in that war. Unfortunately, even though I got mine late. But if you're talking about sales, then it's the Switch all the not Switch the Wii because that has one of the most best-selling in-home console games, uh, consoles of all time. That um, one won that generation. Yes, the Wii, hardware-wise, totally won that one. They won it, but what the bad part is is that they won it because... They went for the family model because they're like, we're a family console. We're getting away from what we did on the GameCube and the 64. We're going all family, and they put out great games like Wii Baseball or Wii U Sports. That was fun. You could play the whole family. You can do bowling. You can do that. And Xbox and PlayStation tried doing their own thing with that. Like the Xbox had the Kinect, which I own both generations of, by the way. Um, ah. And it wasn't very good. It was the, the sensor was really bad. But for the Wii, it was, hey, look, I don't have to do the perfect arm bowl. I can just flick my controller and it senses it. And there's funny videos and everything. And then they were like, we're sticking with this home console system and then they did the wii u and then they did what was the other one before that they did they did the wii they've done four or five consoles in the past what 10 years three to four Let's see yeah because they have this they have the switch now and they're they had the wii u and they had the the wii in 2005 also those handhelds now gamecube wii wii u switch for their okay so the, home install consoles so they, in the same time frame from 2006 onwards, DS, 3DS, and then Switch still qualifies for both. And then okay. Switch Lite! Ha-ha! Yeah. All so, the portability with a third of the power. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but for me, it, it's Xbox is trying to be ballsy. We're buying these companies. We're going to release their games on these other platforms. But if you want them free on day one, you've got to come to our platform and you've got to pay for them. And you don't have to you only have to pay me 10 bucks a month and you can download these for free for the first year and if you want it after that you got to pay for it but all these other How consoles dare you leverage my fear of missing out to come to you early that is just irresponsible it's not irresponsible it's good business <laughs> i hate to say it it's a dick move to everyone else but it's good business 
It's it's a jerk move. Like you want to play that PS5 and you want to play this game, sure, you got to pay sixty dollars for that game. But if you come to Xbox and you pay ten bucks a month, you get to play that game, and it's all the games on this game pass for free until for the first year. And you can go, holy crap, look at this. This game's on here for a year for free. They're saying free, but it's you know ten bucks a month. And if you divide down how much it is, that's one hundred twenty bucks a year. That's two full games almost. Unless you're on PlayStation the deal, Five. The deal is very solid. But why does it work here? For Xbox, and not for the Epic Store. There's many answers, but what do you have to say on this? I don't go to the Epic Store because I know Steam first. But let's let, let me take a look here real quick. I would say, let me take a look at Epic Store. Epic uh, Store. They have running round the annual exclusive deals. They they buy up releases. They say we'll give you the money to develop this thing. It's somebody called it paid early access for and developers have no reason not to take the money and then release for realsies after they uh, after it's time to go on Steam. So I would say, like, if we're looking right now, so you have World War Z, Game of the Year Edition, Xbox Game Pass, 15, 15.29 on Epic. Um, I think what it is is they just don't have enough people. Let's take a look at the free games. What, what free games do they have? Let's... I, I wanted free games, but it just gave me a freaking video of control. I don't know. I just want to look at you got to be in control. Yeah, so that, that, that's one thing. Like, if I'm looking at Mega Cell 2021, free Discord Nitro for three months. Okay. Um, nothing on here. Overcooked 2, Genshin Impact, whoop de doo Like, there's nothing here. Like, Red Dead Redemption 2 right now, I, like I mentioned to you, it's on Game Pass for... Ten ninety nine a month, not just that game, but all games. So it's a smart way of getting but, to it. But it's Chucks, it. Chucks, they give away free games each week. Free games, Chucks. But what game is it? Let me ask you that. Let's see. Let's ask. Epic Game Store free games. What's the schedule say? Oh, Discord skins. That's good. Yeah. Well, who... Rocket League login reward, Rogue Company mega deal, Fortnite. That's the freebies. So as you saw, Genshin and Control are free now. Some coming soon. Hell is other demons. Overcooked two. You mentioned those. But that rotates every week. So hypothetically, for no money down, maybe one purchase initially. I'm not sure what the uh, limitation is. The stable of paid games available to participants for free. That's a, between 52 and 104 or more games available to you through the Meg Store for freebies. That's impressive. Now, of course, there are so many software titles to pick from, there's no guarantee of what you'll get. But if you're that sort of a snarky holdout that says, I don't buy new games, if you're patient, the roulette may land on something you want. And you say, yeah, I want this. Their sales aren't nearly as deep as what Steam can offer. But again, One's a very established platform, and the other is a uh, money-hungry dick that doesn't know what it's doing, but the money is good. So there's the the attitudes shift is what I'm trying to say. All right. However, so, it, it it's a cultural expectation that things exist on the Epic Store, and then 15% of people care. Then they release for real on Steam, and then everyone says, "Oh, the new game's out," and then Epic continues to uh, rub its temples in frustration. Okay, so games that I can see so far. Conan, this is Game Pass. Conan Exiles, The Wild at Heart, 
Darkest Dungeon, Yakuza, Like a Dragon, Wolfenstein 2, Evil Within 2, Fallout 3, Rage, Doom, Doom 64, Doom Classic, which is the original Doom, Doom 3, and Doom 2 Classic, Mech Warrior 5, For Honor, Maneater, uh, Secret Neighbor, Hello Neighbor, Plague Tales is coming to them, uh, Slime Rancher, which a lot of people play. Uh, there's a lot of these games are games that people want to play. Like, uh, I don't think, is Anthem on there? I'm showing Anthem for some reason. Ace Combat's about to leave. It had Alice's Madness Returns. They had Way Out. Oh, there huh? you go. That, what you just said, that is a very critical element. Blank is about to leave. Ace like Combat other 7. Subscription services. Well, it doesn't matter what the game is. I might think to myself, hey, I put this down a while ago and I want to pick it back up again. Too bad. It's out of rotation. So it is a great, great access system if you want to check things out casually or you play occasionally or you have those bursts where you just say, I, don't, I want to play a game. Sit down, do the shit, leave. But I value my library. If there's something I want to commit time, attention, and money to, I want to come back to it whenever I can. So being told that you can't anymore because that's how the rules say. You might have just forgotten. Yeah, I was going to watch that later. Well, fuck you. Later arrived. It's gone now. What I sent to you earlier, saying it disappeared, and you asked me what that was, uh, there's an album that I really had enjoyed over the years from a certain creator named Tumelo. I never bought it. It was just available for free for the longest time. And it was Chrono Jigga. The oh, yeah. of uh, Chrono Trigger musical scores and Hove. And I really enjoyed it. But due to reasons, the creator announced, and I didn't pay attention, that they're, they're going offline. Took out Nosylvania, took out some of the other ones. Those are great albums, but due to whatever problems, it's using licensed material in a creative fashion. And maybe it was a matter of take this down or you pay us fees. Well, the creator's got to take it down. Got plenty of original music, but I can't retain access to that material anymore unless somebody continues to upload those versions onto public sites like YouTube that is also in danger of being taken down at a moment's notice. And you could say this is a good allegory for the transient nature of life, where things will end and pass before you're ready anyway. On the other hand, while I am here, I really would prefer to retain access to the things that I've grown to enjoy and love, as opposed to having a disposable transactional nature with marvels and glimpses of human creativity, and going, eh, fuck it, whatever, next one. I am not comfortable with that. But then the world does not owe me a degree of comfort. That is true. No one owes, no one owes anybody a degree of comfort. But let me ask you this. You enjoyed Halo Wars. Have you played the Gears games? Are you asking me if I played Gears Tactics? Yes, I was going to see if you've ever if you ever heard it, if you ever has ever piqued any interest. Uh, yes, I've heard of it. It is on the long curiosity list because as I'm given to understand, it is a friendlier version of XCOM. And I would be interested in handling... I haven't played Gears of War in a very long time. I'd want to do a rerun through the, the trilogy that I played before. Uh, Ascension? No, different name. Judgment? Whatever. The, the Gears game nobody acknowledges. I'll play that. Yeah, yeah where you play is the uh, blonde guy. Yeah, Baird. Baird, loves Baird. He's okay. such a cool guy. But point being... I guess there is a point. I want to try the spinoff as well. There are so many damn things that it's a matter of getting to, spending time with, processing, and enjoying. And that's part of my problem is I want to have retained value with something I interact with as opposed to going, that was cool, and then just moving on to the next thing. 
it uh it kind of annoys me for no real reason when I get to see people that I know in my lists just playing the new thing. Every week, whatever's new, whatever's released, that's the thing they're playing. Maybe they're just that good. Maybe they beat all the games, they sit down, they knock it out, they're victorious, they're supreme champions of gaming. Or it could just be that they're, it's just the activity to occupy their mind in between things, and they keep nothing of worth after they're done. That's spoopy to me. But, back to Gears. Yeah, no, 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 you're good. Let me ask you this, okay. So what do you think of a game being so bad upon release that it's taken down by the publisher and developer? Unlike what CD Projekt Red happened to, had happened to them with Cyberpunk 2770 on PlayStation, where they're just like, until you fix this, it's not coming back. The, the developer, who's also the publisher, just takes a game down and says, fuck this, we'll be back next year, we'll make a better game. I've seen this happen a few times over the years. The example I took back to was Deadpool that was taken down for reasons. It wasn't even terrible, just underwhelming. And as a result, it was just not available for sale anymore. If you have it, you can keep it, but you cannot buy it new and fresh. I, I'm not a fan of the practice, but I do find, at least in how rare it is, it's amusing when it rears its head. So... EA... I used to play these games. It was called NBA Live. They made NBA 2020, I believe, and it was so terrible that EA was like, hey, look, we know we just released this like a week ago, um, but we're going to take it out. Like, whoever bought it, terribly sorry. This is uh, actively damaging our brand. Essentially, like, it's such a bad game that it's bad. Like, But they don't do that with other games. Like, e This is a sports game. So NBA is the National Basketball Association, if anybody doesn't know, live. They were, they've been around for a long time. The first one, it looks like, was NBA Live 95. Okay. I, on here, they had something that said list of basketball games, and it said release date 1973. Just do me off for a second. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, they don't do, like, they took this game down. It was so bad, but they don't, they re redo the same games with their other sports games. Madden 2021 is essentially the exact same game as Madden 2020. FIFA 2021, even in a press release, has been stated from a developer and the, the developer and the head of the uh, game that was helping direct the game, excuse me, the head director, um, stated that, yeah, no, it's just FIFA 2020 with just, uh, you know, uh, nothing changed. It's just been packaged as FIFA 2021. That is sad, but people buy it and they play it. But when this NBA Live came out, people were so pissed, like, this is trash. And they were like, yeah, we know it is. We're taking it down. Like, sorry, guys, we'll, we'll come back next year, bigger and better. That was NBA 19, so which means that it was released the 2018-2019 season, which means because the season for basketball comes out 2000 late of the year. So fall of the year, so the next season will be fall 2021 for us, uh, so around October. We'll have preseason stuff happening soon. And it ends around May or June. Um, actually, no. NBA's still going on. Yeah, it ends in June. Where's this going? It's going that they haven't released it in two years because it was so damn bad. This game has not been released in two years because they haven't been able to fix it. And that's where it's going. And it's sad that they won't do that with anything else, that publishers won't do that with some of their other games. And it just just brings a tear to my eye that they are that no one's doing this. They're saying, "Hey, forget this. We have 
all these great games that we can make and do well with. But instead of taking our time, we want to just keep repackaging these things every year and just slightly updating updating them and then sending them out and they're trash. Okay. And that's I, a that's a valid concern, but why does it only seem to happen in things that draw massive amounts of eyeballs like sports? Arguably the least important game genre. I would I would agree with that. Video sports video game sales aren't as up there as other video game sales. Like if you pick genres of like science fiction, adventure, fantasy RPGs, they're not anywhere near close. Um, it's because sports fans are so ravenous and they just want a game out as that when they get the new one because they have the new updated rosters, that they just buy it. And that's sad because for me, I haven't bought a new Madden since two Madden two thousand eighteen. Um, I haven't bought a new NCAA football game since 2014 because it hasn't been released. But a lot of people stopped playing it, but it's still a good game. Um, to me, what I wish, it's kind of what that is for NCAA football. Like, it hasn't been released since 2014 because of sales issues and money issues for likeness of people in the game because you can't, at the time, you couldn't give money to college athletes. But the fan support of updating rosters, lookalikes, numbers, and jerseys was so high that I feel like instead of releasing a game, it should just be called NBA Live, and then boom, and they can just go from a numbered one. Like, hey, in two or three years, we're going to release it, and every year we'll update the roster. But we're going to, while you're updating the roster for the next season, what we're going to do is we're going to try to develop this next game to be better graphics, better gameplay, better fluidity on what they're doing, but they don't. For sports games, it's just easy for them to say, hey, we repackaged from last year and just slightly made it better. And I'm going to sell it to you for the same price as you bought that last game from a year ago. It, it's so what, what do you say to changing, pivoting things to a live service platform? I would say it's the the best option for sports games, for sports games in general. If you do that and give it to where there is fan help, you might be able to, like Steam. Uh, it's like kind of like the Steam community for, hey, look, here's a mod. But instead, it's like, hey, guys, we're relying on you to update the rosters. Uh, while we work on this game, uh, we'll release certain DLCs and certain things that may update the game while we're doing it um, for free. But the next game will be out in two years or three years. That way it's the best game that's humanly possible. But I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe it either because it's not. they won't make enough money. It would, it would, it would probably crush EA right now. Um, because I believe that's what EA brings most of their money in right now is through these sports games or annual sports games that only doesn't require their them to use. Excuse me about the burp again. <laughs> it doesn't require them to use uh, as much development from the development team. So they can just say, hey, just repackage last year's, take a small squad, repackage it, make it look slightly different. Um, and then get on, and then we can just keep going with something else and having everybody else on everything else, and we'll make a little bit of money off this and because we know people are going to buy these games over here, uh, which is a terrible, terrible thing. Sad. Sad and terrible. Oh, what was your favoritest thing that you learned about during this E3? My favoritest thing? Uh, just my, my favorite thing so far is just been the like there's nothing too exciting but i would have to say it would be the game pass what's what they're doing with game pass to get people to come to xbox uh, i like what xbox did uh, everybody else was just kind of like here's some brief glimpses of what we're doing xbox said you know we're gonna drop it as much as we can so you guys come to us and see what we're doing 
and that's 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 what I liked about E3 this year. What I what I saw. The very best new feature announced is a reminder of the existing feature that just consistently <laughs> does what it does. Yeah, I mean that, that is sad, but it it is what it is, man. And I can't help it. Like that's the best thing of this E3. E3 is, as you mentioned, like nothing's exciting about E3. Let me. Like Capcom didn't announce a whole lot. I think one cool thing was that the the tabletop arcade one. If you know what arcade ones are, I don't. Have you ever been to a Walmart and you see those little fake cardboard arcade cabinets? I haven't been in one for a long time, but let's say yes, I know what that is. Yeah, so they've been releasing these old school arcade cabinets that are flimsily made. They're not made out of like the thick uh, MDF board like you get into an actual arcade cabinet. They're just made out of thin pieces, and it's just a small little arcade cabinet. And they sell for like $300, $300, of your classic games. Well, now, one of the biggest things said was that uh, that 1UP, who's the company, is releasing one that's a tabletop that you can play like tabletop games, but it's digital and other games on top. So it's like in a digital arcade stick that you can just sit around a table, have a clear plastic coating on top. I think that was kind of neat. Um, okay. Yeah, curiosity, for sure. Yeah, I want to see what they do. I mean, I'm, I remember going to the uh, state fair up there and seeing something similar to that, but instead it was like, hey, we have 700 of your best available games that you could possibly get. Oh, cool. What type of games? Have you ever heard of Mario Brothers? Yeah, well, then you should hear of the Ario Brothers. Okay, you guys have generic ripoffs. Got it. Yeah, but it's 700 of them, and this is only $2,000. Yeah, uh, can I just get a good game in there? No. What about Streets of Rage? We have The Rage. Isn't that already a game for Xbox? No, 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 no. This is different. This is an acronym. Oh, okay, never mind. So it's they were cheap knockoffs the whole time. Cool concept. I'm glad someone's doing it with established video games from the past or current ones if you can upload stuff into them. That was a cool one that I saw. But everything else, like the Guardians of the Galaxy game for PS5, that was like the biggest thing that the PS5 that I saw. Not too excited for that. The last Marvel game was crap. So, so, not too worried about that one. What about you, man? What was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway was... Why are we still doing this? Big time <laughs> announcements or sequential non-reactions, disappointments, and watered-down promises. I guess it was noteworthy that at long last the seal was broken and Elden Ring got some information released upon it. But I'm not a rabid fan because I didn't spend as many hours with the Souls games as other people have, so I wasn't busting to find out as much. And I was curious that suddenly there was a resurgence of enthusiasm towards Halo Infinite for seemingly very banal announcements. Such as, well, online multiplayer is available for free. That's a no-brainer, but people are excited. It will have single-player content with a different blue robot lady. Okay? Seems perfunctory, but here we are. Why not? That's the thing you like. I was... I guess gently troll-satisfied at the meh reactions that occurred, but only because I want better for what the industry shows us. And again, the, the piecemeal delivery of we gave you a, a bit of news... But really, if you want more of these news, just just head on back to our own special party in our clubhouse. Uh, bring your tokens and your your DLC passes, and we'll totally get you some more. So, I'm not saying the E3 was a wet fart. It's probably 
it's coasting on goodwill from missing it for a year. But very little came out that made me truly excited. I was browsing announced indies on Steam, and I saw an idea of the Traveling Village, which ostensibly is uh, Shadow of the Colossus combined with a, with a town builder. But the very idea, the notion of a walking magical island with limited space on the sides and you have to build a community upon this, that's curious. That's interesting to me. Uh, it's not big news and nobody really cares, but at least that's a one flavorful snippet of a non-endorsed large franchiser company saying more of the stuff you already subscribe to or enjoy. So not to be a killjoy, but the E3 failed to produce anything substantial that made me uh, feel my pants move. I, I would agree. Like I said, the, be the best thing to, for me was the, uh, the, the announcement of what they're bringing to Game Pass, just because I have Game Pass, and it's like, oh, that's, that's neat. But like you said, it wasn't super exciting like i wasn't so excited that i needed to like drop whatever i was doing to get it um i i'm with you on that i think e3 would have been better if it was like live like you were in person like to get the the satisfaction of hearing the crowd boo as some of these announcements were done um i'd be like what the hell are they doing but unfortunately, like you said, we had a year off, so a lot of people are just nostalgic to hear what, what these game companies are coming up with with their own thing, but it's there's been nothing released so far that I could say. This is definitively, I'm excited, super, super excited for um, Dark Alliance. Like I said, everything else that I'm looking up to that I that we talked about, like Dark Alliance, um, it's coming out for free on Xbox. I can try it on that, and if I like it, I can mention it to you, like you kind of mentioned Vermin when you showed me Vermintide. Like, hey, this is a cool concept. You should check it out. But um, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. The joy is, check this thing out based on subject, instead of filing into a room all together and say, right, show me stuff. We got here. This is the, you know, wow me. I, I, I made the bother of traveling here to show what kind of, see what kind of show there is. Instead I, of, hey, this just crossed my desk on a subject and I thought of you. Check this out. I tend to now prefer that second model. It's not what people like. I recognize this. But isn't that more satisfying than I got to watch 28 highly edited trailers back to back. My adrenaline is up. I am amped. I remember nothing about what I saw, but I know it was a good time. And again, my, my, my pelvis feels lighter for some reason. <laughs> I, I think this was the same type of concept that we were discussing now was last week about cons. Why do I enjoy going to cons? I like to see the unique things that you don't really get to see in the industry. Uh, when I went to the Comic-Con up there, I got to see certain uh, comic books that you really couldn't find in stores, some memorabilia that people couldn't get um, that were only exclusive to, like, oh, this person had this exclusive memorabilia that was very rare, to, very rare to find. With this, I would feel that if I'm going to this thing, I, I want to hear what they're saying, this two-hour time window, but then I would want to go see these indie developers that are out there and what these indie games are bringing to it, because that's what this... If E3 is going to rely on something, they need to be talking about their indie developers more. Like, hey, look, we have a 30-minute window for these indie developers, what they're... This indie developer, here's our top 10 things that we... These indie developers that we're, they're coming out with and what they're telling you. Or this, here's this game, here's this guy talking about it, and having a two-hour window with each game being talked about and what they're releasing. But E3 this year was not... Uh, Super duper exciting for me. If, if I can hop on that point for a second, mm -hmm. the notion of indie developers having a space at all within E3 is sort of paradoxical because then they're not independent developers. They're, they're companies that are acquired by bigger publishing houses 
and are told you're working in a quote indie capacity, but they still have a controlling interest. I mean, PAX and IndieCon, those are places where indie developers go to gather and peddle their wares. But even trying to combine the larger venue, if they do have a quote, like you say, an indie section within that particular convention, then shouldn't you immediately be wary? Because we're talking about multi million dollar publishing budgets. And now here's so-and-so with a game about their shoe. I don't think this is the venue for that. I think it also there has to be spaces for individual efforts. I don't know. I mean, there could be. Because most of the time when they do invite indie developers, they do it. They don't... They put up the indie developer like, hey, look, we saw what you released on Steam or something. Come show us what you're working on or what games you have if you're a small company. Now, for them, indie developers are not as small as like the guy who did what is it fez like it's not a one-man crew some of these are like yeah i work for such and such company we're developing this with this publisher the game's gonna cost just like 10 grand I'm like okay cool that's a neat idea that's uh, eating up floor uh, space for the next season of whatever the fuck can't do that we're here to pedal to the masses not to anybody with a functioning brain cell they do both and that's that's what the joy of cons are like this is that you get to see both sides if it's big enough uh if it's big enough that's right Somebody, somebody's jockeying for the best position and then there's a small stage off to the side although since we're talking indies very briefly the cowboys of the genre devolver digital uh infamously set up their own private convention if you will just off the grounds of the major ones and just bring in hot dogs and kool-aid and whatever and just have their separate space. You can leave the hub up, cross the street, don't get hit by a car, have a hot dog, and check out our new concepts. They, I applaud that. So that's kind of what they did at uh, Emer uh, Emerald City Comic Con, uh, ECC. They had a small section for these like indie podcast and comic people and gaming that were smaller, and they were in their own little area because it was two convention centers connected together. Um, but the smaller ones, you could go talk to them if they were, and then you had the whole area where they sold comics, and you had the comic book creator section, and then you had these indies. who were like, hey, we create our own stuff. These are digital comics. No one really knows who the hell we are, but here's my comic. Um, if you make comics, there was one indie indie comic creator in the bigger comic section, and that was the guy I told you about last week who did the uh, Admiral Yi uh, comic, and he's like, yeah, I had to fork out ten grand for this booth. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I work for a company. I created my own comic book. I've had them publish it for me. Um, I make enough money that I saved up 10 grand and I got this booth hoping that this comic book would sell. So please, thank you for buying my comic book. And I'm like, you know, you don't see a whole lot of historically uh, driven comic books that I've seen. So I was like, I'll, I'll take a look. And I bought the set and still haven't read it. And I hope the guy's doing okay. <laughs> I give them the money. That's that's as far as my commitment ends. Exactly. They, they extended my duty of care. All right, Chucks. Let's wrap this up for the time being. What do you want to leave us with? Um, I want to leave it with you guys just saying, hey, look, you know, uh, check out our stuff that's coming out here in a couple of days. Uh, you know, we'll be putting out some couple videos. We'll have this out on, uh, as always, on Sundays. Um, but for that, uh, you can check me out. Uh, playing Twitch here in a couple days. We'll be playing some on Friday before we get a couple other recordings in. Um, as always, it's Nut Chucks, or I'm playing on Grime and Game. What about you, bro? What do you got for everybody? I have some thoughts about a game that was mostly buried as a dismissal of not very good and who cares. That's Sony flagship. So I'll have a few thoughts about Days Gone, 
in this coming week, a little bit later on, because I'm finding a surprising amount of things to latch onto. And I'm willing to have an articulate conversation about what is supposed to be a throwaway zombie free roaming game. That'll be interesting. All right, guys. So for Grammy Game, I'm Nutchucks. And I'm Robbie. Till next time, guys. See you later. <laughs>